Welcome to Project BGR, craft beer and conversation. And did we mention craft beer? The beer guys Tim Dennis and Aaron Williams talk to the makers and creators from the craft beer world and beyond. Now, time for Project BGR with your hosts, Tim and Aaron. Everybody, and welcome to another episode of Project BGR. Uh, we are talking to the brewers, the people, the movers and the shakers around the craft beer industry, yeah. the people that make craft beer awesome. And this week we have someone that I'm sure most people are familiar with. We're talking to uh, Jeffrey Stuffings, the founder of Jester King Brewery. So. That's right. Uh, it's a brewery in Austin, Texas. And uh, quick bio on Jeff. He's uh, had a brief stint in law which is crazy, but he began working on an opening up brewery in 20, 2007. He worked at an Austin homebrew supply store from 2008-2009 before opening Jester King in late 2010. Today, Jeff oversees the company and guides its future as an authentic farmhouse brewery. He and his wife have two kids and live in Dripping Springs, Texas, nearby Jester King. So, Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us today on Project BGR. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to be on the show. No, this is awesome. I'm really excited. We're both big fans of your beer, so uh, so it's cool to and talk I'm to fa- you. And that's, uh, you know, we, we normally do kind of a craft beer story, but we kind of covered that in your intro there of kind of, you know, how you got into it, worked there with uh, Austin Homebrew Supply, and then started up Jester King. But what drew you to make that jump to, uh, to start Jester King? Sure. I, I think like a lot of brewers, it's really just a, a love of, of homebrewing. Um, that's really my background as far as beer. I, I never worked professionally at any other brewery. And uh, to this day, I would say, you know, my first passion is for, of beer is, is really just making it at a, at a homebrew level, uh, something I, I still really enjoy. Um, and then, yeah, just I uh, was in a career, which you mentioned, uh, law, that I was just, uh, you know, I don't think I went into it for the right reasons and didn't have much of a, ultimately much of a passion for it and was wanting to move on to, to something uh, more fulfilling. And uh, beer was just kind of like uh, an escape route out of uh, out of a career that I kind of dreaded to go to work uh, every morning for. Um, so yeah, I just kind of made that transition from brewing in my garage to uh, working at my local homebrew store and just uh, getting to kind of know industry folks uh, through through that. I mean, a lot of professional brewers would come into the homebrew store, you know, when they were in need of a little bit of supplies or equipment for small things, and and got to kind of talk shop with them and and ultimately kind of got invited to come out and, you know, volunteer at some of these professional breweries in Austin and the Hill Country, and and uh, that's kind of how I learned how to make beer, was just by kind of picking the brains of a lot of people in our industry locally. Yeah, it's funny, Jeff. Um, I've got a lot of friends of mine. Uh, I'm, I'm a journalism major, and a lot of journalism majors go into law when they realize they can't make a career out of journalism. And I, I, I asked them about that, and they're like, you don't want to do that. That's just not a good Everybody thing. Everybody so, has a yeah. move from law. But you know what? It sounds like you're moving the other direction to something a little a – little, because we talked to another brewery out of Birmingham a where he tab, was an yeah. attorney and said, you know what, I want to I wanna do this. He was telling us, uh, Jeff, how his friends all were studying hard for law school, and, and he's studying his next homebrew recipe. Uh, so, you know, just uh, going that way. I tell you what, before we get into the – kind of the meat of our conversation here. We have one of your beers here. We have a Boxer's Revenge. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about this beer? Yeah, absolutely. So first off, it's the first beer we ever brewed. Not the first beer we ever released because it's a beer that takes about a year to make. But it's a, um, a mixed culture, barrel-aged, uh, sour beer. It's one of the, the strongest beers we make. Um, a lot of our beers tend to be kind of low to medium strength, kind of in like a, a 3 to 6.5% ABV range. But Boxer's Revenge is kind of in a, a 9 to 11% uh, alcohol range. And, um, yeah, it spends about uh, a year in neutral oak barrels. Almost all of our, our barrel stock, <coughs> stock is uh, just, just neutral oak. We're really just trying to 
feature what microorganisms and time can, can do to a beer. So it's a, a barrel-aged, strong, sour beer. Yeah, and it's funny. It's great. Yeah, it's great. It's delicious. Uh, you know, it's funny because whenever I have a Jester King beer, I taste the yeast, I taste the funk, and I'm like, I know that's a Jester King beer. It, it's it's kind of cool to have that kind of reputation or at least that distinctive flavor. That's, like, that's pretty, pretty much like the, the best compliment I feel we can, can get is to kind of have a, a uniqueness to our beer because it's, it's really what we're, we're striving for to make something that's that's unique to our brewery, to our place, to our time, and, and unique to the people uh, who make it as well. That's Well, Jeff, i tell you what, to dive right in here, when we asked you, you know, before the interview, what you'd like to talk about, you made that one pretty uh, easy for us, and we're going to talk about farmhouse sales with you today. Yeah. We're going to focus on that, so uh-huh. something I love, I enjoy, uh, enjoy, you know, all of the farmhouse styles, American and Belgian, European, and that, so... Just start us off. What what exactly is a farmhouse sale? Yeah, that's um, you know it's, it's funny that that question. It's it's, it's obviously you know simple on, on face value, but it kind of opens a lot of different uh, discussions in, in in the beer world. I think if you ask you know a dozen brewers, you know what is a farmhouse sale, you'll probably get maybe a dozen different answers. Um, you know, for for us, um, it, we would define it as just a beer that that has a connection to a a time and a place. Um, a sense of place, if you will. Uh, and then even more so these days, I'm starting to also kind of recognize how it's not just time and place, but also uh, a reflection of, of the people involved in, in making it. Um, you know, I think, I think if you just go by, by, by volume, and I don't like, I never like to, to sound overly negative, but I think if you just go by like the, the volume of, farm, of beer that just supports to be a farmhouse sale out there, it's probably going to be, you know, a pure culture fermentation, and there's nothing wrong with that, with you know, grain that comes from a, you know, a large supplier. Again, nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, hops from probably, the, you know, the same large supplier as well. And then, you know, it's fermented in maybe one or two weeks, maybe has some spicing added to it for, you know, kind of trying to create complexity through, through, through the addition of spices. And then, you know, we'll have like a tractor or a guy in a straw hat on the label. And that'll, you know, that'll be, a, you know, your, your farmhouse sale. And I, I think it needs to be, you know, to have maybe a higher degree of authenticity needs to take an additional step. Like, is this beer, if, you know, if Jester King were to move, you know, five states away and tried to make the same beer, would it, would it taste exactly the same? Would we have the capability to make it exactly the same? And if the answer is yes, then to me, I think that that struggles to be authentically called a, a farmhouse ale. You know, for, for us, again, I want it to be something where it would not be the same if we made it in a different place at a different time of year with, with different people. So I could uh, really kind of go into all the factors that I think, you know, help meet that definition, but but that's how I define it. So we should question the authenticity of the straw hat? <laughs> well, at least, yeah, the, yeah, I mean, you know, nothing against, uh, you know, I, I, I try not to, to use names, but, I mean, they're, they're, they've got enough money. Sure, they're, yeah. They're, they're probably not worried about it, but, like, you know, like, look at, like, like, Shiner, you know, they make, they're yeah. in Texas, they're the biggest, you know, quote-unquote craft brewery in Texas, and, you know, they make a, a, quote, farmhouse sale, and it's a delicious beer. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, Shiner makes awesome beer, and, you know, their, uh, their uh, pre-prohibition-style Pilsner, or I think that's what they call it, is, is, is wonderful. And, like, when I have barbecue, that's the beer I reach for. It's just perfect. And, um, but I mean, that, that, to me, that's not, uh, again, a farmhouse sale for kind of the reasons I, I, I mentioned, you know, I, I just think it takes more of a connection to like the roots of a specific location. Cause if you think like whether, regardless of the country going around from like place to place historically, these beers would have had regional fingerprints. They would have had uniqueness. They would have had kind of the beer equivalent of, of terroir. 
And if you're not attaining that or if you're not, you know, striving for that, I don't think you're making farmhouse sale. We'll be back with more from Jeff Stuffings from Jester King right after this. You're listening to Project BGR. Hey, this is Aaron. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We've got some really awesome things that are coming soon that will help us engage with you some more. We're not going to lie to you, though. It takes time, effort, and money to produce this show every week. So if you'd like to be part of the Beer Guys family, we would love your help. Head to patreon.com slash beerguys to become a sponsor. We're not going to beg. Okay, maybe just a little bit. But hey, we've got some great swag for those who become a sponsor, and you'll be among the first to know about the great things that are coming to the Beer Guys universe. Again, that's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash beerguys. Or you can go to beerguysradio.com and click the sponsor link. We thank you for your support and cheers. Welcome back to Project BGR. We are talking this week to Jeffrey Stuffings of Jester King Craft Brewery out of Austin, Texas. Yeah, and I think uh, the terroir, I think, is a big thing. You know, and I, we t- I talked to you uh, a couple of months ago when you were doing the uh, mutualism release with the, with Creature Comforts, and you were talking about almost like having your beers and your yeast and, and the bugs that you use kind of a a, a time and, and a place, you know, and, and, and it's going to be unique no matter what you do. And that's sort of what uh, what's interesting about what you guys do and what you brewery. It's it's everything that you have is local, unique, and it's a it's a kind of a microcosm, a, a beer version of where you guys are brewing your, your craft. Yeah, I, I think that's a good, very good way to put it. Um, you know, our beer really changes throughout the year depending on, you know, when, when we're, we're making beers. I mean, we, our brewery, by the way, if, if, if anyone who's listening hasn't, hasn't been here, we're um, in this old machine shop that uh, is just made of, of corrugated, uh, you know, siding and it doesn't have any insulation. And, you know, our tanks, uh, you know, they're glycol temperature controlled. And, you know, if it's, you know, they don't, we don't allow them to go into like 100 degrees in July. Um, but with that said, um, you know, we don't have a way of really controlling temperature beyond, you know, what the, what the ambient temperature is doing. And, and then, for instance, like during the summer months, uh, we tend to see more like fruity esters and kind of banal character uh, and spicy character in our fermentations. Where like in the winter, um, the fermentations kind of lag and, and slow down and, and kind of just chug slowly along and the bacteria is more dominant and we see more kind of acid and sour flavors. Um, the balance of microflora changes throughout the year and, you know, during the wintertime we'll do spontaneous fermentation and, and kind of, you know, just use native yeast and bacteria to see what we get. And then, you know, the time of year also has a big impact on our availability of ingredients. I mean, we use, you know, herbs and fruits and spices that we can only get for different times of the year. And when we can't get those or if the harvest isn't good locally, then, then we just don't make that beer. So, yeah, it really is just kind of this, this cycle. It's the cyclical nature of, uh, of brewing that, you know, I, I think you know, does tie the beer to, to a time and place. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's very much different than having kind of like the scientific and technological capability to make the exact same beer on a production schedule year round. We're more at the mercy of uh, what our environment around us is, is doing and giving to us. Now, this is something you're know, talking about the the season and the environment and all this. Kind of the history of this style, they started in uh, uh, Belgium, France, uh, brewed on the farm, correct? Uh, you know, brewed in, the, I believe, early spring, preferred before it gets too hot, right? Yeah, I mean, um, I, 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 first of all, I, I don't claim to be a, kind of a historical expert on this. Okay, thing, de- yeah, that, gotcha. That, that, that absolutely is the, uh, the common wisdom, yeah. And that's so, 
looking at that, I know I saw something just recently. Uh, you know, talking about your farmhouse sales and kind of this the t- terroir that uh, a beer you're going to be releasing here in November that uh, I've been reading about on your blog. Uh, I believe it's Spawn 2016. Am I pronouncing it the way you intended it to be? That that's right. Uh, with the the subtitle uh, Method Goose, which uh, you know definitely raised some eyebrows. I think when we when we announced uh, that 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 naming for it, mm-hmm. um, you know to kind of give you the the backstory behind that, and I'll you know feel free to jump in. I don't want to you know be too uh, to give give too much of a long winded <laughs> answer, but um, you know basically my my brother my brother Michael's the co-founder of Jester King with me, and when we went to uh, uh, Belgium for the first time in 2012, you know, like a lot of beer nerds, you go to, you know, Belgium, they go to, you know, Cantillon in, in, in Brussels. And, and that was, uh, my first visit to, uh, you know, a Lambic brewery. And I was you know, like a lot of people, I think who visit that place, you know, uh, just kind of this, this Mecca of the, the beer world was just kind of like blown away and, and, uh, came back to Texas, just really, really wanting to, to try this style of beer making in in Texas. And I mean, we, we definitely had our doubts. I mean, we, we figured, you know, it's this climate with, you know, we get like, two dozen days if we're lucky that actually feel like winter a year and most of the time it's you know in the 80s 90s and hundreds you know how can this style of beer be made here i mean the the microbes even if they exist are probably not in the right balance but we're like well you know we've got nothing to lose let's, let's give it a shot so we uh tried you know to follow the traditional method uh, of the authentic producers as, as absolutely as closely as we could so we took you know, a grist of about one-third raw wheat and about two-thirds malted barley. Uh, you know, one of my favorite beer books is um, uh, uh, Wild Brews by, by Jeff Sparrow, and we uh, he's got a schedule for a, a turbid mash in that book. And, you know, we never tried a turbid mash before, so we're like, you know, we'll just do what's in the book. And so we did did the turbid mash, and, and then, uh, you know, we, we, uh, uh, we started aging hops, um, and, you know, for the first year we ever tried spontaneous fermentation, the hops were only like a couple months old. So they were only kind of like loosely uh, aged at that point. But uh, but nonetheless, you know, we, we put hops into burlap bags and put them in the attic of a of a barn here near the brewery and just like let them kind of like just cook it at, uh, you know, ambient temperature. And then uh, added aged hops to the boil, four-hour boil, uh, fabricated a 15-barrel cool ship made of stainless steel, uh, racked the works uh, about like 7 p.m. at night into the cool ship, which we had placed in our barrel room. Uh, the idea being to kind of surround uh, the cool ship with a lot of you know oak barrels that were kind of a harboring place for yeast and bacteria. Uh, opened up all the doors, windows, kind of set up fans to just circulate air around the, the room, and then uh, let that wort sit out overnight. Uh, racked it to uh, oak barrels the next morning, and uh, nothing happened for about a week. Um, but uh, eventually, like this croissant just started to kind of plume out of the bung of one of the barrels, and we were just, you know, shocked. It was just like it was almost like the the alien movie where the thing just like pops out of the dude's chest. And yeah, it was just like, it was just Whoa. like wow. Like, I know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was just we were just shocked, and uh, yeah, it was. Um, and then from there, you know, it actually took about two months for all of the barrels to show signs of fermentation, but they eventually all showed signs. And uh, out of that, like six barrels we filled for our first year, like five of those barrels actually ended up maturing into something we were really, really happy with. Um, You know, from there, and again, I don't want to be too long-winded, but I mean, from there we had enough confidence to try uh, that same technique uh, for each consecutive winter. 
And then eventually we built up enough stock from 2013, 2014, and 2015 to do a, a three-year blend across various, like, quote, vintages of, of, of our spontaneous beer uh, to the point where, um, you know, it followed the, the, the method of, uh, of making a, a goose. And then uh, just to kind of cap the, the, the you know, initial explanation here, I mean, we were very – we were struggling tremendously with, like, what we'd, we'd call this beer. I mean, we – you know, got the inspiration from, from Cantillon and by no means wanted to, you know, rip off their appellation or, or disrespect them. So I actually, you know, sent an email to, to Jean Van Law from Cantillon and, and asked him, you know, told him what we had done and, and, and yeah. what our inspiration was and, and asked him for his opinion. And he actually threw out the idea of, of calling it a, uh, uh, a, a method goose, you know, with an analogy to method champenois, which would kind of identify a, uh, a specific process you know not claiming authenticity but at least saying that like we followed the the process yeah. behind like the authentic beers when i saw that i thought when i saw the name and the the method goose that's what i thought is i'm like you know what that's a great idea because it's something that uh american brewers struggle with we see like american wild ale or something along those lines uh you know for a beer that may be brewed in that lambic or goose style and some people may not know that that kind of translates from that the style of the Belgian, you know, yeah. goose and lamb. Well, it's almost like so. you know, champ. You can't call champagne right. champagne unless it's from that certain region in France. So, so it's yeah. kind of the same same idea. Now, it's interesting. I, th- I think though, uh, really quickly, in the South, the only people who like winters are brewers because that yeah. way they can do spontaneous yeah. fermentation. We've, we've got three taverns, of course, in Atlanta, and one of their great beers, Inceptus, yeah. it was was made in this cold winter snowpocalypse there a few years back, right? Because they were able to do that spontaneous fermentation. Yeah. You know, oh, something cool. for the nerds here that, that I just recently learned is uh, I knew that the, that those cold days, you know, after a snow or, a, or something like that were the best days to capture wild yeast in that. But I wasn't really sure why. And I just recently found out that it's because the, the snow and the cold temperatures like that knock a lot of the bacterias out of the air, but the yeast are still there. So that's, uh, that's the reason, you, you know, when uh, you're on at Three Taverns, when the temperature was right, right after our snowpocalypse, he knew that was the time to capture, you know, what he was looking for. Yeah, that's, that's something we do routinely during the winter, like starting in about December. You know, we just try to look for some overnight lows that are around maybe like like 38 to 42 Fahrenheit. That's that's typically about as cold as it gets here in central Texas. Uh, and, yeah, we uh, this past winter was really mild, and we only got like nine nights that it was cold enough to do spontaneous. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. So that's just kind of the way it is. I mean, we did, uh, you know, not we you know we did nine thirty barrel batches, which for us is, is, is a lot of beer. I mean, we're a brewery that that makes about twenty five hundred barrels a uh, a year. So even making like you know a hundred and uh, you know one hundred and fifty barrels or, or so of uh, spontaneous beer is kind of plenty for us and enough to kind of fill up our barrel room space and, and blend off of. So that's it. Jeff. We talked about this particular beer, the 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 spontaneous ferment in that. But uh, just a little bit. We've got a few minutes left here. What is your standard process, or do you have a standard process for most of the beers that you brew? We do, and it, it's pretty simple, really. Um, you know, this kind of goes back to what I was saying about you know trying to make something that's reflective of a, a place, time, and people. So we a lot of our beers are just the, the classic four ingredients. I mean, we do we use a lot of fruit, and, and I think we're uh, fairly well known for our, uh, our fruit fermentations, but 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 most of our beers are just so raw well water. That's kind of step one. Uh, we're on an aquifer 
Uh, it's very hard limestone water, and we really try to get a lot of minerality in the beer. Mm-hmm. Um, like our water is, is super hard, actually. It's like 900 parts per million dissolved solid coming out of the well. You know, some of that precipitates out during the boil uh, and the mash, but uh, you know, very hard water going in. Um, and this is the next part is, is, is something I'm really excited about, um, and it hasn't always been the case. You know, when we started out, we were getting you know malt from all over the world, like, like most brewers. And again, that's nothing wrong with it, but we now have a local monster called Blacklands Malt uh, out of Leander, north of Austin, and we're now getting grain that's both uh, grown and malted in, in Texas, which is really exciting to us, as, again, as far as that creating that connection to, to place and time. Um, so, uh, you know, local grain. And then um, we will, uh, our hops, you know, not so much. Uh, yeah, going to be hard to get Texas hops, that's right? right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, there has been some experimentation with some kind of heat and pest-resistant hops on the homebrew level, and, and you know, it, it may be the case where we're able to get at least some varieties of, of, of hops in the future from grown in Texas, but for the time being, we get our hops from, from Oregon, like, like, like a lot of brewers, so I don't, I don't make any claim of locality when it comes to our, our hops, although aging them on site is, is part of our process. Okay. And then, um, most importantly, though, Mixed culture fermentation with, with, with native yeast and bacteria. Um, you know, our, our, we, everything we do uh, is a mixed culture fermentation. Uh, the beers that aren't spontaneous, we pitch a mixed culture of yeast and bacteria that was created by propping yeast off of uh, just flora, like prickly pear, agarita berries that were grown around the brewery, as well as some of our, our cool ship batches. And uh, we've let that yeast culture kind of just change and evolve and adapt to our brewery over time. We treat it like a sourdough starter. We just feed it to keep it alive. And, and uh, yeah, it throws a lot of curveballs and surprises to us as we ferment, um, but we kind of embrace that natural variation, and I think that's a big part of what makes our beer kind of unique. Awesome. Jeff Stuffings, uh, founder of Jester King Brewing. Thanks so much for joining us for Project BGR today. appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to Project BGR. Don't forget to binge and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want more craft beer talk? Tune in to Beer Guys Radio, Saturdays on air, streaming online and on demand. Details at beerguysradio.com. Project BGR is a Beer Guys Media production.